Hello there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ, and I'm excited that you've joined us for this lesson as we open God's Word and learn how to better serve and glorify Him. In 2005 at the Franklin Church of Christ, we took a in-depth look at the Jerusalem Church every month studying one of the keys of success that made the Jerusalem congregation such a strong body of Christ. Our thought was, if we do what they did, we can be what they were. One of the keys that we learned was the fact that they were bold in the face of rejection, and that is what the lesson you're about to hear is all about. They were bold in the face of rejection, and the Jerusalem church grew. We believe that if we can learn to be bold in the face of rejection, just as they were, that we can also grow. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, and let's learn how Christians today can be bold in the face of rejection. Since the beginning of this year, we've been taking a look at the Jerusalem church that we can read about in the book of Acts, and learning about what made them so successful. Obviously, it was a church that grew, and it grew, and it kept growing, and they faced problems, and they dealt with those problems, and they kept growing, and we've taken a look at several of the keys that made them successful that will make us successful, and we've, then we started looking individually at each one of them, and we learned that they were continually devoted to worship, that they were united with one heart and one soul, that they aggressively dealt with problems, they lost no one in the crowd, they knew that nobody could do everything, and what we also learned is that they were bold in the face of rejection. There are a lot of folks today in churches that fear rejection. They're afraid that folks out there aren't going to like their church. They're not going to like what's being taught. And so they, they want to kind of soften it and not, not boldly proclaim whatever it is that they believe and stand for. There's a lot of folks that are, are backing off and suggesting that really we wouldn't, churches shouldn't be all that distinct from everybody else. We all should just kind of blend together and look a little bit alike and that way nobody gets upset. But when you take a look at what happened in Jerusalem, you recognize that these brethren were bold in the face of rejection, and they faced a kind of rejection that we have rarely known. When I've got some family here with us, and when my brother-in-law Nathan saw the title of the sermon last night on my outline as I was getting ready, he said, bold in the face of rejection. I said, have you ever faced that? And I said, well, not I have, but not near to the extent of the illustration that we're going to be looking at in the Bible today, because we look in Acts chapter 4, is where our study is going to be coming from today, looking at what happened in Jerusalem. I've not ever gone through what they went through here. I've never had to deal with what they dealt with. Folks have rejected me. They've rejected what I've taught. And, of course, what we have to learn is they're not really rejecting us. They're rejecting God. I've been in churches that have been slandered. Folks have, have made fun of the things that we do. And yet, I've never gone through what they went through here. One of the amazing things that I find is Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. That in the midst of all this rejection, in the midst of all the things that were happening to them, even the problems that they dealt with, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4 it says, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. In the midst of all of this, the congregation continued to grow. There were numerous folks who believed, and it says the number of the men came to be about 5,000. That means not counting the women and the children who are there with them and the families. The congregation here in Jerusalem it could have been anywhere of ten to 15,000 people. By the time you count widows and wives and children that are coming along, ten to 15,000 people that are there assembling together regularly in this body in Jerusalem. 
And one of the keys was they were bold in the face of rejection. And I think we can learn from them in Acts chapter 4 several keys that will help us maintain that kind of boldness that we need to have where we can be out there in the world standing up convicted for what God has said and what we need to do in order to serve and glorify Him. We're going to be looking at those keys today. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Righteous and Holy Father in Heaven, we are amazed at Your power and Your awesomeness and Your grace. We're amazed that Your Son died for us as we've just memorialized with the Lord's Supper. And we're so thankful for what You've done for us through that. We recognize that we have sinned and have been unrighteous and that it took Your Son's blood And we're just amazed and in awe at the mercy and grace that caused you to send your Son to die for us. Father, we pray that we will look at the firm conviction and stand that Jesus took to wash our sins away, and that we will stand with the same kind of boldness and stand up to the world and stand up to the errors, even in the religious world, that we'll stand up and simply follow your Word and be convicted where you would have us be, that we'll boldly proclaim your Gospel no matter what the world thinks of it, no matter what others say about us, even if it leads to what the apostles experienced here in Acts chapter 4, imprisonment and punishment, help us to always be willing to stand up and glorify and honor You, obeying You rather than men. We love You, Father, and we pray that You would help us to continue to grow in that love. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. As we take a look at being able to grow and be successful and go beyond all that we've ever done before, and we learn about being bold in the face of rejection, the first thing that we learn from Acts chapter 4, the first thing that we need to know is that we just need to expect rejection. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 25, as the apostles were praying following this rejection, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 25, they said, "...who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things?" The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. The thing that we need to recognize here is that when they're praying this prayer, they're actually quoting from an Old Testament psalm. From the second psalm, in fact. And what we learn here is as they were processing in their mind what they were going through, they weren't stunned. They weren't surprised. They weren't amazed that folks were against them. They expected it. They knew that it was going to happen. Jesus had told them it was going to happen. But even beyond that, they could go back to the Old Testament and find that that's exactly what God said would happen. Folks were going to align themselves against God, against His Son, against His servants. They were not surprised that folks were rejecting them. We can look in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, beginning at verse 18. Jesus had warned them in John 15, beginning at verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. They knew that rejection was going to come. They knew that rejection was going to come and people were going to be rejecting them in the name of God, they thought. They said, but they don't know me. And so the apostles knew to expect rejection. Why does this happen? John chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 19, explains somewhat why this occurs. 
It says this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Those who are not doing what is right who are not following God and His Word to whatever extent, they don't like being around those who are. They don't like seeing that. In fact, we don't even have to say anything. Just by living what God has said, our lives are like a shining light that exposes the darkness that upsets those who are not doing what is right. And so what do we learn? We learn that we just need to expect rejection. In fact, what we need to fear is not ever being rejected. In Luke chapter 6, in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus in Luke 6:22 says, "Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets." But verse 26 Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. There are so many folks that are wanting the church not to stand out and be different from everything else that's going on around them. They're wanting to be able to fit in and they're wanting all the big namers and all the denominational world to look on us with, with pleasure and happiness and say that we're all fitting in. But the problem is, when everyone is speaking well of us, nobody is ostracizing or insulting or slandering us, what Jesus said is that's when you need to beware. We need to expect rejection. And one of the big problems that folks have with dealing with rejection is they fear rejection. And instead of fearing it, we need to just accept it. Not that we're going out trying to force people to reject us. I'm not saying let's take that approach. But just recognizing that when we just do what God says, there are going to be folks that don't like it. And they're going to speak against us. They're going to insult us. And when nobody's ever doing that, that's when the problem is. And so we learn that we need to expect rejection. The second thing that we notice from what happened here, dealing with this rejection and how they were able to have boldness there in Acts chapter 4, they prayed for boldness. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, in the middle of the prayer, they said especially, and now, Lord, Acts 4.29, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They said, be with us that we can speak with all confidence. They prayed specifically for boldness. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to pray for boldness. I think about Exodus chapter 3 when God came to Moses and said, I'm going to send you back into Pharaoh. And I want you to go tell him, let my people go. And you remember how Moses responded? Oh, wait a minute. I'm not the guy. Interestingly, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, when God responded to Moses, He didn't sit there and shore him up and say, Oh no, Moses, look, I picked you. You're the guy. You can get it done. That's not what He said. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, God said to Moses, I will be with you. The point almost seems to be, You're right, Moses. You're not the one. I'm the one. I'm just going to use you. And that's the thing that we need to recognize, that we can have boldness because it's not us. It's not about us. We're not so powerful and strong that we can face all the enemies of God's people, but we have somebody who is with us who can strengthen us to face all of that. Just like Moses did. God says to us, certainly, I will be with you. And as Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, 
in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. We can face up to the rejection and those who would insult and slander and mock and whatever worse might be coming our way in the years to come. We can face up to that with strength and boldness, not because of who we are, but because of who is with us. God is with us. And He can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think by the power working in us. We simply need to pray to Him and trust Him and do things His way. And there are two times when we need to be praying for this boldness. We need to have planned times of prayer. And when we're praying in those planned times, we need to pray for boldness. If you're leading the congregation in prayer, one of the things that you need to pray for and lead us in is prayer for boldness in the face of rejection. When you're praying with your family in your family time of worship, pray for boldness for your family, especially for your kids as they grow up, but also for you and your spouse and everyone else in your family. When you go into your closet for your personal prayer time, pray for boldness. There's another time when we need to be praying, and that's in the moment when we see that it's necessary. We certainly ought to have planned times of prayer, but prayer ought to be such a part of our lives that whatever we're facing, prayer comes into it. And so when we see that opportunity where if we're just strong enough and bold enough, we can invite somebody to come worship with us, we need to pray that God would give us boldness. When somebody asks us a Bible question and we need that strength and that conviction to answer it accurately according to the Bible instead of backing down and watering down, we need to pray for boldness that we can do that. When somebody's getting angry with us and we're feeling our temper start to rise and we might respond in kind, we need to pray for boldness that we can respond in the same way that Jesus and the apostles would respond. Whatever those moments are, when you see that boldness is needed, pray at those moments for that kind of boldness. That's exactly what the apostles did as they faced rejection. The third thing that we notice from these apostles and from the church in Jerusalem, when it came to facing rejection, they realized that souls were at stake. One of the modern problems among all the churches in our world today is that it almost seems for a whole lot of people that church growth is almost like a game. Whoever has the most pieces at the end of time wins. And when that's the way we view it, when it's, when it's more like a game, when it's more like a competition of just trying to have more folks than the church down the road, there's not much motivation for boldness. But that wasn't the view that the apostles had in the church of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, as they were being questioned, they pointed out that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The apostles recognized that salvation was in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. This wasn't about just trying to have more members than the Jews had in the local synagogue. This was about getting the saving message of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible so that their souls could be saved, so that they might spend eternity in heaven instead of spending eternity in hell. And when that's what is in our mind, and we see the destiny of the folks that are around us, we can have a little bit more boldness. When we realize that the people that we're talking to, if they're not serving God, if they're not in Christ, when we realize that they're lost, and we have the message because God has given it to us that can save them, can help them go to heaven, that is when we stand up. And that is when we are bold. When we recognize that churches that don't teach the gospel message of Jesus Christ as found in the Word don't have saved people there. We recognize that with boldness we've got to proclaim this doctrine of Jesus Christ and His Gospel instead of just allowing everyone to continue on 
and their religious error so that they can all be friends with us. Souls are at stake. And when we recognize that souls are at stake, boldness increases. But we need to take this a step further and realize that our souls are at stake. In Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, Peter and John answered and said to the council that were telling them they needed to stop speaking. They said, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. There in Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, they recognize that this isn't about us, this is about God. And our souls are at stake because it is not right for us not to tell people about God and about this glorious gospel and this message of salvation through Jesus Christ. These two, Peter and John, realize our souls are at stake. We've got to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 11. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, we find a key verse in that book and really in all of the Scripture. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, as John, by inspiration, was marking out the difference between those who were saved and those who were not, they said in Revelation 12 and verse 11, they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. Why did they overcome? Because of the word of their testimony. What's that mean? That means if we're not testifying of Jesus, if we're not out there telling about Jesus, we don't overcome. Our souls are at stake. And when we realize that, that's when with boldness we're persuaded to persuade others. As we continue on, we recognize that these Christians in Jerusalem had learned that they must not be selfish. Again, Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. In Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, Peter and John said, we can't stop speaking what we've seen and heard. We've got to obey God. The point in that is that it was about God. It wasn't about them. When I look at the reasons why I'm sometimes not so bold, and it happens far often than I would like to admit, it's because I don't want people not to like me. I don't want people to ostracize me. I don't want to be kept out of things. I want people to like me and speak highly of me. But I can go on and on with that kind of list, but do you notice what the common denominator in all that is? What I like and what I don't like. And what Peter and John here in Acts chapter 4 recognize is that it wasn't about what they liked. It wasn't about what they wanted. It was about what God wanted. And they had to recognize that God had to come first. And instead of putting themselves forward and doing just whatever would make them popular among the people, they had to do what God wanted them to do. And they had to stop being selfish. Stop promoting self and start promoting God. They were living Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 23. In Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 23, the Scripture there says, And he was saying to them all, this is Luke 9, 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. 
We've got to learn to pick up our cross and deny self. Boy, that's a toughie today, isn't it? Ah, we just do not want to deny ourselves. We, whatever, whatever we want and we think will make us happy, we're just ready to plunge after that. And we're just certain that God would not expect us to actually deny ourselves anything that we think would provide us with pleasure and happiness. But what we learn from these folks here in Acts chapter 4 and, and in all of Acts chapter 4 is it's not about us. God does expect us to deny, to deny ourselves. He expects us to do things His way. And when we, when we can get rid of that selfishness and serve God selflessly, that is when we'll have the boldness in the face of rejection. So we continue on, we recognize that we need to focus on those who accept. I'm really kind of amazed as I look just, just at the way this was written. In Acts chapter 4, at the beginning of this story, Luke didn't wait until the end of the story to tell us about all the folks who were accepting and believing and all the growth that was going on. He told us at the beginning of the story. Before this story of rejection, we read in Acts 4 verse 4, what we read earlier, many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. It's almost as though Luke is pointing out to us, I know I'm about to tell you a story that's a little upsetting, a little discouraging, a little distressing, but let's remember from the very outset the important thing that's happening here. While there are those who reject, while there are those who insult and slander and mock and persecute, there are those who believe. There is success. And it's very easy at times to not see that success. It's very easy to see the failure, to see the folks who, aren't re- who are rejecting, to see the folks who are not accepting what God has said, and see the folks that are not growing in Christ properly or speedily or quickly or however we expect them to do it. But what Luke demonstrates by the way he's written this in this order is something that we need to learn. Certainly. Are there folks who reject us and what we teach here because they reject God? Yeah. Are there going to be folks that slander us and slander this congregation because of the stand that we take? Certainly. Are there going to be folks who call themselves Christians, who slander and mock and ostracize us, thinking that they're doing it in the name of God? Absolutely. But there are successes. Look around at the folks that are here every week who heard the gospel one day and believed it. If there weren't ever any successes... This building would be empty. But here we are. Because even though it's few, as Jesus pointed out in Matthew chapter 7, that most folks want the wide and broad way, there are those who do accept. And we need to focus on them. We need to see them and help them grow. And what we need to realize is that with the thousands of people that still live in Middle Tennessee that aren't children of God, there are some out there who will accept when we just get the message to them. But when we sit back and we're so afraid and we focus on all those who reject, that's when we stay in our buildings and we huddle up and we just talk about how bad it is in the world and we never get that message out to them. And guess what? When they don't hear it, they can't obey it. So what we've got to do is we've got to focus on those who accept and just keep preaching the message and getting it out there because there are some who will believe. We need to learn to lean on our brethren find it interesting in Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 that when Peter and John had been released from prison, they didn't just go their separate ways to their houses. It says in Acts 4.23, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They went to their friends. They went to their brethren. 
And that was when the brethren prayed together for boldness. So when they faced this problem, they went to folks who would help them. They went to brethren. They went to Christians. But that's one of the problems that we have today. All too often, we're afraid of rejection because our best friends are the ones that we're afraid will reject the gospel. Our best friends, the ones whom we go to for support, don't support us in the gospel message. And what we've got to learn is that if we're going to be bold in the face of rejection, that our best friends, the ones to whom we turn to for support and encouragement and uplifting, have to be people that are actually going to support us in the gospel, that are going to encourage us when we face rejection. Obviously, we have to spend time with folks in the world, otherwise we can't do all that this is about, teaching them the gospel. But our closest companions, are the folks to whom we turn for support and guidance and encouragement, have got to be brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to take us to the Word and help us grow. Because otherwise we're going to face those hard times, we're going to face that rejection, we're going to look at our best friends and they're not going to care. In fact, they might be part of what the rejection is. So we've got to learn to lean on our brethren. Being with one another, knowing one another, strengthening one another. And finally, we've got to remember that God always wins. God always wins. This point doesn't necessarily come from Acts chapter 4. Rather, it comes from the psalm which the apostles quoted in their prayer. Look back at Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, the psalmist wrote, verse 1, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He'll speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He may not become angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This psalm which they quoted in their prayer was a psalm not just of enemies attacking, but of God winning. And as they quoted that, they weren't just stating those lines that they quoted, they were referring to the message of this psalm, that they recognized that while those who would oppose God would stand up and constantly try to thwart His plans and be against His people, what they recognize is that God wins. And we need to remember that. God wins. Sometimes it seems as though Christians are not always sure that God wins. I mean, sometimes it looks like the world is winning, doesn't it? And that's what Revelation is all about. And that there are some of us who step back and we're kind of on the sidelines. We don't want to commit too much to this God thing because, why, He might lose. And, and if He loses, we want the world to still like us when we're done so they'll be nice to us when they win. But the thing we need to realize is they're not going to win. God always wins. 
And we need to be on His side. Do homage to the Son lest He become angry and we perish in the way. God always wins. You remember Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30? Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. But notice the second half of that statement in Matthew 12.30. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. We need to be those who are gathering folks to Christ. Because if we're not gathering folks to Christ, what Jesus said is we're scattering. And of course, to be able to do that, we've got to learn to be bold in the face of rejection. Just like these folks in Acts were. Just like Peter and John and the apostles and the church in Jerusalem. They faced a great deal of persecution and rejection throughout the years of their Christianity. Far more than we ever have. And yet they continued on faithfully. Obeying God, not men. One of the sad things that's often happening today in churches is that when we think about rejection, there are folks who want to do anything to keep from having that rejection. And so they'll, they'll tell us, well, let's, let's water things down a little bit. Let's soften the message. When we gather together to worship, let's not, let's not say anything that's distinctive or that's going to be offensive or upset folks. Instead, let's just talk about all the nice, good, lovey-dovey things. And maybe after a while, once they're good and set in, then we can start talking to them about the real doctrine of Christ. As though there is some way to give the message of Jesus Christ in some foolproof way that will finally make everybody obey it. And there's not. The reality is, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are going to take it. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and only a few are going to take it. And there is no amount of twisting and massaging and backing off and watering down that we can do for any amount of time that are going to cause everybody to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we are teaching a message that everybody is accepting, I can guarantee you it is not the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We've got to learn to be bold in the face of rejection. Not that we're seeking rejection, but recognizing that's just what's going to happen when we're teaching God's Word His way. And we need to learn to face it, as the apostles did in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. And when we do, the same thing will be said today as was said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Many heard and believed. I hope this lesson from the Jerusalem church was beneficial to you as you learn how to be bold in the face of rejection. Let's think about what we learned today. If we want to be bold in the face of rejection and thus help God's body to grow, we must, one, expect rejection from many. Two, pray to God for boldness. Three, realize souls are at stake. Four, realize that our souls are at stake. Five, Stop being selfish. Six, focus on those who accept. Seven, lean on our brethren. And eight, remember that God always wins. If we follow these keys, then we, like the church at Jerusalem, can be bold in the face of rejection. And we, like the church at Jerusalem, can be successful in spreading the message of God's glorious gospel. If you have any questions about the Jerusalem church, about how to be bold in the face of rejection, 
or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359, or you may visit our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone gave you this lesson. If so, let me invite you to come to our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons that you're free to download, both in audio and outline format. If you can use those in any way to strengthen yourself and your faith or to strengthen others and draw people closer to God, you're free to use them in whatever way you see fit. We thank you for listening to this lesson, and may God bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.